Good evening. Good evening. Uh, I'm Michael. Uh, I'm uh, on the staff here at HTC. Lovely to see you all. I just want to echo what Jamie said. Christmas is the perfect time to invite people to. The next two weeks is the perfect time to pray for Jago. Um, not invite everyone, but do consider inviting um, everyone uh, to our Christmas services. Um, so today, what we're going to try and work out, I don't know if any of you have ever asked yourself this question, how do I know what to do? I don't know if any of you have ever asked that. You know, if you're a Christian and you believe the Christian faith, you believe the gospel, that's the, the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and then you believe that that gospel, that good news, interacts and affects all areas of our lives, even our decisions. So how do we make decisions? How are we guided by the very thing we believe in, in making those decisions? Okay? So I'm going to give you my, our usual roadmap. So if you nod off uh, and then you wake up, you'll be like, where is he at? Oh, he's halfway through. You can go back down. Um, so we, uh, there's three ways I want to highlight that, um, that the Holy Spirit guides us. That's what we're looking at. Scripture, circumstance, community. And they build this kind of platform that we try and live out. The foundation is Scripture, which interprets our circumstance, which is lived out in the community. And then if I've done anything right in about 25 minutes, all of us should ask the question, how can I trust Scripture? How can I trust that God hasn't lost control of these circumstances? And how can I trust the community that I'm a part of? It sounds like a lot, but the thing is this. Many of us have been in church for a while, and we've heard talks on, oh, you know, the Holy Spirit guides, and oh, yeah, that's great. But, but it, you're kind of like, oh, hold on a minute, how does that work? How, is, how do we work that out in practice? Okay? Because I'm in the middle of that right now. Jago and I are in talks um, about Emma and I leaving this wonderful church, right? To go and take a group from here and start a church from scratch. How do I know if that's, a, if that's a good idea? How do I know? How do I know if not just, oh, that sounds like a good idea? Or do you, do you know what I mean? What is that? How would you? There's no money. There's no people. What does that look like? How do I make decisions? And I'm sure many of us have got decisions we need made. How do I know who I'm meant to marry? How do I know if I'm meant to leave London? Some of you are new to London. How do I know what church I'm meant to be a part of? What am I meant to do with my finances? All these questions. So, as we begin, um, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite, I'm, gonna, I'm the first one standing, because I'm like, I need help. Now, if, there, if any of you here are like, I need to make a decision, I can foresee in the future, this is a decision that's coming over the hill, I'm going to invite you to stand, um, just so we can all acknowledge, there's going to be only a handful of us, but just so we can all acknowledge, oh yeah, I've got a decision I want to make. Uh, and then at the end of the service, if your friend turns to you and says, oh, I didn't know you had to make a decision, <laughs> you, you just say to them, you just say to them, get behind me, Satan, right? So can I invite you, can I invite, for those of you that are like, yes, yes, this is something I need help, can I invite you to stand? And then we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us. Um, I just pray that all of us would um, hear your voice. And I just pray for those of us that have got things on our minds right now, those decisions that need to be made. I just pray that we wouldn't be consumed by the decisions that we need to make. Would we be transformed by your Holy Spirit? Help us and protect us. Amen. 
Amen. Please do take a seat. So the way we're going to try and do it is to look at the early church. How did they do it? So if you want to grab a Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. You've got the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you've got Acts, which is the story of the early church. Acts chapter 15 is going to be found on page 1,110. We are going to do two chapters. I know what you're thinking. He's going to be up there hours. Yes, I will. (laughs) I'm only joking. Just the two. Right. Okay, bit of context. Acts chapter 15, right? There's this church called Antioch. Okay, Antioch is this small group of Christians that were persecuted. They flee to Antioch and then they start gathering other Christians. Okay, and then they're like, how do we be Christians in Antioch? We have no leader. We've got nothing written down like we do. How do we be Christians? So other Christians hear about this. So they send Barnabas. Okay, Barnabas means son of encouragement. Beautiful name. So They send him. And he arrives at this church and he goes, you need me, but I'll tell you who you also need. You need this guy called Saul. Great teacher, amazing testimony. I'll go and get him. So you've got these two guys. You've got Saul, and he's about to start using the name Paul while he's in Antioch. And this guy is kind of mission-minded, strategic, passionate, and powerful. And then you've got Barnabas, who's an encourager. He's kind, he's compassionate, and they're both leading this church. And the church explodes. It becomes the kind of mission launchpad for all the ministry of the church for decades. So a couple of years down the line, Paul and Barnabas, they've been kind of loving this church. They've been growing this church. It's flourishing. And then this happens. Chapter 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. They turn up and they say, basically, just want to let you know you're not a real Christian. Okay? Because you're not circumcised. That's what they're saying. Jesus' death plus circumcision makes you a Christian. Now, it doesn't seem much, but it's massive. This is a major problem. This is gospel plus Okay? Alpha will look incredibly different, okay, if this is what it is. We believe faith alone, but <laughs> slip it in the back door. I'm, no, I'll cut that. We'll cut that. We'll cut that. <laughs> That's just for. I'll be doing the church plant next week. Okay. Right, okay, so no, no, okay, so this is a major problem, right? This is the gospel plus faith alone. So Paul and Barnabas, okay, this, this, this heats them up no end. Look with me at verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp disrepute and debate with them. When we see sharp disrepute, what we mean is there were fireworks, okay? They're like, what are you talking about? They're like, right, we're going to go and sort this out. So they go to Jerusalem. This is kind of 49 AD. James, who's Jesus' little brother, okay? This is the big church, the mothership church. They go and they go and see James and they go, look at what these people have been saying. They've been sent from you. What do you have to say? So James calls a church council meeting. What are they going to do? To circumcise or to not circumcise? This is massive. This is massive. There's no Jesus There's no written scripture. How are they going to make this decision? 
Now, can I encourage you, if you don't read the Bible, um, can I encourage you tonight to read Acts 15 and 16 in bed? Because we're going to dip in and out. Acts 15, Acts 16, and then you can read Philippians for the rest of the week. You'll love it. Okay, right. So what do we do? Right, so Peter stands up and said, this is what God has told me. Paul and Barnabas, they say, this is what God is doing. And then James stands up. Have a look with me at verse 14 now. He says this, Simon Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And then he's going to highlight a passage from Amos. So look what he doesn't say. He doesn't say just because Peter and Paul and Barnabas, they've had good experience, then it's true. He goes to this higher authority. He goes to the Old Testament. He goes to the words of the prophet. What God has already said. And what God has already said affirms what you are saying. Just because the majority of the community think it's okay, just because circumstance says it's okay, what does God's word say? And then to help the situation, they're going to send a letter. And they're going to send the letter to Antioch and all the other churches. So let's read that letter. Verse 23. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are saying. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Now, if you want clarification about verse 29, why those four things, you can definitely chat to me at the end. But the key here is verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit didn't talk. They got it from Amos, who was written, who wrote in the Old Testament. Unless, unless they believed that the Old Testament was written by God's hand. It was breathed by the Holy Spirit. He guided human hands to write and speak the written word of God. It's God's written word through the Holy Spirit that directed them into what was right and what was wrong. It was wrong to make Gentiles Jews. It's right that salvation is found in faith alone. So the Holy Spirit informs our right and our wrong through Scripture. But the problem is, for many of us, we would go, yeah, 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 okay, 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 we... we, we We get that, but the problem is we don't want to do the hard work, do we? We just want the answer here and now. And the problem is the Bible isn't specific. So we end up in this practice of basically throwing out the whole Bible. We wouldn't articulate it like this, but this is what happens. Let me give you two quick examples to try and help us. Finances, right? What we really want is to open Leviticus 
And it says this. This is how much you should give to the church. This is how much you should give to charity. This is how much you should spend on food. This is how much you should spend on going out. And every fortnight, go to Waitrose because you're hosting. Okay, that's what we really want. We just want the answer, don't we? We want the quick fix. This is bang, 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 bang. Okay? And then what happens, then what happens is we, we go, well, because it's not specific, we're just going to throw it out subconsciously. We make the jump because it's not specific and therefore it doesn't have actual guidance for me. And so we don't read it. We don't grapple with it. Let's take another less controversial example. Relationships and marriage. Okay? Because the Bible doesn't give you the name of the actual person you're going to marry, isn't it? That's what we really want, isn't it? 2 Peter 14, 17. Emma, boom, I'm on it. Right, that's what we want, isn't it? That's what we, that's what we want. But then, in, but then in practice, we basically throw out the whole thing. And we, all of, some of us, we just get tied up in all of these knots because we've thrown out the guidance that's there on a plate for us. Does that make sense? You know, we just want the specific. We don't want the hard work. We don't want to figure out the foundational guidance of how this works itself out in practice. And the answer is not to throw out the Bible. Let, let's just dig a little bit deeper into this one because it's, you know, it's tough, isn't it? I know marriage helps people grow and mature. I know that. I used to wear basketball vests and three-quarter length shorts before I got married, okay? Do you know what I mean? I, you know, I, I get it. Okay, but... But even, even in that, right, even in that, we, we don't marry people in the hope that they're going to want to glorify Christ. Because that's what marriage is about. If you're two Christians and you're thinking, oh, marriage, marriage is not about your comfort. It's got nothing to do with that. So just forget that. Marriage is basically glorifying Christ. And it's two people that are just trying to do that. That's all it is. Okay, right. So then you're kind of going, okay, well, we're, not, we're both imperfect. That, you know, that's okay. And, and, you know, the only person that knows how sinful I am more than me is my wife. Okay, so she knows I'm pretty messed up. But to marry someone who claims Christ, right, who claims Christ for their Savior, and there's no fruit or evidence just doesn't seem like a good choice when the Bible's clear. Let me give you an example. Imagine you dated my daughter. And you got married to her next week, okay? Just because you got married to her doesn't mean she's going to stop throwing things down the loo. She's one. She thinks it's hilarious now, and she's going to think it's hilarious in a week. Just because you've married her doesn't mean she's suddenly going to go, oh, I should stop doing that. And yet, we, we, we get ourselves all tied up in us. Let me give you, I'll give you an example kind of from, from the male perspective, right? Because I'm, I'm a man, right? You're dating a guy, right? And they claim Christ, right, as their Lord and Savior. They don't bother with church. They don't bother with a connect group. They don't bother with accountability. And then just because you put a ring on it means he's going to love you as Christ loved the church. Doesn't the Bible's clear. The guidance is there. And we let things slide, don't we? Because this is the problem. Because we go, well, there's no specific, so there's no guidance. We just let things slide. And we let ourselves be treated by our partners without an ounce of the worth God sent his son to die for us with. All the while saying, a 
future version. Future version. Anyway, okay. So let's carry on. Right. So we ignore the right and wrong, okay, because we ignore the standards set by the Bible because we get hung up on it's not specific. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is guiding our right and wrong through Scripture. Okay, let's go back to our story. Paul and Barnabas, they win. They return to Antioch. Picture with me. Barnabas, you know, he's the encourager. He's kind. You know, he's like Jamie. He just kind of loves and he's just going to go, oh, I'm sorry you were wrong. And, you know, it's going to be okay. And I'm an encourager. And Paul comes in and be like, yes, get out, heretic, and kicks them out. I'm only joking. That's actually not in the Bible. Um, that's not, that isn't in the Bible. But that, can I just say, that's why I ask you to look with me so you can be like, oh, that bit is in the Bible, but that bit's not, not in the Bible. Okay. Right, so they, so they spend a couple of years tending the church. Now, circumstance is about to come up, and it's easy for us to say, well, things are going well. Things are positive. God must be guiding me. Well, that's true, but what we're about to see is two situations when it's the negative circumstance God uses to guide. Have a look with me at verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Palafaria and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commanded by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So John Mark, he's left the team earlier in the story and now wants to rejoin the group. Barnabas is John Mark's cousin and says, I've seen a change in him, he's going to be great. Paul's like, absolutely no way. And Luke, who wrote Acts, he plays it down, but this is massive. This is two huge and deep friends, and they've lived and they've served alongside each other for years. They love each other, and now they're splitting. This is a dark moment. We don't, we don't read this and be like, oh, skim it. This is a dark moment that is deeply negative experience. And it's done by two Christians who love Christ. Now, this negative episode is going to bring profound positive fruit. You're going to have two mission teams now instead of one. Church history tells us that Barnabas and Mark were incredibly fruitful. They saw a lot of people come to know Jesus. John Mark, he's going to be given a renewed sense of confidence. And within 15 years, he will have finished what we now have as the second gospel. Mark. Paul is going to see that and he's going to speak wonderfully and kindly and lovingly about him. You know, he said, no way. But in a few years, he's going to say in Galatians and Philemon. And then he even asks for him in his old age in 2 Timothy. Send Mark to me so that he may minister with me and to me. There is profound positive out of the negative. But let's carry on. It's going to get worse. Okay, Paul's got Silas, Timothy joins, and this is it. New team, new season, new mission. Paul is ready for church planting on steroids. Okay, here we go. Now, 60, chapter 16, verse 6. 
Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phlygria and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysa, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do so. Literally, the door shuts. We don't know why the door shut. Maybe Paul got ill. That's why Luke, the doctor, is going to join. Maybe it was to do with finances. We don't know. But there's this clear blockage. Door shut. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's ever felt like that. Door closed. I thought I'd be doing this. I've been made redundant. I've been pushed out. I thought my life would look like this in this direction. I had had a career and a trajectory, but through sickness or family and money and life, that door has closed. And in both six and seven, we see very clearly what closes that door. Not the devil. It's not sin. It's not luck. Who is it? Having been kept by the Holy Spirit, and then in seven, But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit saying, not this way. The Holy Spirit slamming the door shut. Stop. Well, if God guides in the positive and the negative, the question we should all ask ourselves is, well, what part do I play? Where's my free will in all this? But the key to this story is this. They're not passive. They keep pushing. They keep pressing doors, but there is comfort for us in the Holy Spirit who guides even in the negative and the positive circumstances. Now, for some of us, I just want to highlight that I recognize that some of us here are in that moment. It's not like a kind of like, oh, the door's closed. It's like, this is raw. Okay? And I just want you to know, stay with me. We are going to get to that. I just want to highlight that I know this isn't a joke for some people. Okay? We are going to get back to that. So the Holy Spirit guides through scripture, through right and wrong, through circumstance, positive and negative, and finally through the community. Now for those of us that need guidance, what we're about to find and what we're about to read will be annoying, frustrating, and deeply rubbish for all of us. Okay, But it's important to see there's going to be this very small, seemingly insignificant detail which the early church community understood And for many of us, we don't get it at all. Have a look with me at verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's what we want. That's what we want. We want a dream. Do this. Boom. I'm on that. But most of us don't get it. Then let's see what he does with that dream. Verse 10. After Paul, now what we're about to read is a singular statement, and then we're going to read two plural ones. Are you ready? After Paul had seen the vision, individual, we, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, and then it's we concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Do you see that? There's the singular, Paul had the vision. And then the plural is, we got ready at once to leave, concluding. We concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. We. Paul brings this singular vision that he's had to the collective group. And remember, they're in a rut twice They've got ready to plant a church. Twice they've all packed up their bags. Twice they've raised the funds. And both times, 
bang. So, you know, morale is low. And what they're about to walk into is the most successful church plant from scratch in the history of the church. Right? That's why I've said, if you don't read the Bible, read 15 and 16 tonight, and then read Philippians. You're about to read how he starts a church. In a couple of years, he's going to write back to them. Okay? It's incredible success. And what some people might do at this part of the sermon is say, look, look, do you see, do you see the negative situation, which is followed by the positive, the success? God will give you success after disappointment. That's what some people would say. They read it and be like, look at it, it's there. Now, I can't, he might, I can't promise you that. You're a follower of Jesus. The only thing I can promise is that the Holy Spirit is going to adopt you into the family of God. Jesus is going to be your big brother. And one day you can be assured that you will eternally see God face to face. That's why I can promise you that. I can't promise you success. I can't promise you money and fame and fortune. We can't give you any of those things. And the problem is we just want to interject ourselves into Scripture, don't we? We want to make ourselves the hero. Oh, I'm going through a negative time. I just go to Acts 16. Success is around the corner. Right, let's take it to the extreme, right? Because this is not what we do, but we do it on a smaller thing. Let's take it to extreme. I'm considering planting a church. So I put my name in where Paul is, okay? Jay goes Barnabas. Lord, I'm on my knees in my room. Lord, help us to fall out. Help my time here to HTC to be awful. Dark depression. Every door closes in my face. Because when I ride into Vauxhall, I'll see revival. Like in Philippi. That doesn't make any sense. I'm just interjecting myself into Scripture. What we do is we read the story and we read Scripture and we see what are the principles that we see constantly throughout Scripture. And what principle do we see here? Is the Christian life, the Christian life, following Christ, is not done alone. It's not done alone. You know, if you, if you want to do what this passage is talking about, you need people around you that say, we conclude. Right? You can't, we conclude by yourself. You can, I conclude. But you can't, we conclude. Because you know, people say, oh, I just want God to guide me. Okay, what does scripture say? Okay, good. Now, what's happened positively and negatively so far? Okay, what does Christ say now? They're like, well, what do you mean? Oh, the Christian faith isn't about going to a temple. It's about Christ. Christ left us with what? He left us the church. And collectively, Christians are the temple of God. We are his body. I've got a friend. They're at a crossroads in their life. So they phone up a Christian that they know who's in the industry a few years ahead of them and ask, can I meet with you? Can I seek your advice? If you aren't part of the body of Christ, you might lose out on the Holy Spirit guiding you because Christ has chosen by his grace to let the church, the body of believers, be his mouth. Have you ever thought about it like that? A community is not the first port of call, but it is a massive way the Holy Spirit guides. James, Jesus' little brother, he doesn't make the decision by himself. 
Paul, greatest church planter the church has ever known, doesn't make the decision by himself. Look, I'm, I'm the outreach guy, okay? So I only really care about what goes on outside of church. So if I talk about connect groups, that's when you're like, oh, this is serious, okay? Because if you're not known by other Christians, if you're not investing in other relationships, if you're not praying together, if you're not doing that, why would God send something else when you've turned down his first option? Let's take my situation, right? Church plant, figuring it out. You think I've got just my head down with my blinkers on? This is a massive decision that we're trying to work out. I've gone to see people who are in the same industry, who've done this kind of a few years ahead of me. What do you think? I'm trying to surround myself with godly men and women who I trust, who have run the race of life to glorify Christ. And I go, do you think I've got the right temperament and the right character? Is this the right time? What do you think? Because the problem is, and I'm going to be totally honest with you, the problem is if I was left to my own devices, I would veer off the road of holiness and I would crash. I can promise you that. I just crash. And we need other people to do this with us. If we reject Christ's body, then we might miss the very guidance we are looking for. And look, very quickly, when we talk about community, it's always awkward, isn't it? Because many of us, you know, when we're Christians, we wouldn't lie outside the church. But when it comes to community, we basically become the experts at lying. Don't we? Think about it. If you're in a connect group and it comes to the time of prayer, how can I pray? Oh, you know, just doing well. I'm going to read my Bible a bit more. In it. Just pray for that. And actually what we're saying is, I am tired. I've got nothing. I have got nothing. And in that honesty, in that kind of opening ourselves up, to God and to other people, when we do it with good, Jesus-loving, godly people and they speak into our lives, we might just get the guidance that we need. So can I, can I encourage you, right? If you're not part of a connect group, there's, you know, maybe some of you need to meet with someone else and read the Bible together. Maybe you need to start accountability. But the one thing we can all do is we can all be part of a connect group. Okay? If you're not part of a connect group, this is a great opportunity to sign up. At the back is going to be Katie. Right? She's from Mississippi. She's fantastic. You should just go and meet her anyway, whether you want to sign up or not. But if you're like, this is, don't, don't be like, oh, I'll do it in January. Because we won't. Let's be honest. We won't, we won't do it in... Do it now. Do it like, right, I, I, can, I can go. And I can go and be around other people. I can pray with other people. So can I encourage you? Sign up. Don't miss this opportunity. So, we've got scripture, right and wrong, circumstance, positive and negative, and we've got the community of believers in all its different facets. Now, we're coming into land, I promise you. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to invite the band up so that you know, oh, he's coming into land. Come on. Rory, will that, can we have some? No, no, because then you all know, yeah, he's, he hasn't... <clears throat> We are going to have some. Right, so the final question is, how can we trust Scripture? How can we trust that God hasn't lost control of all these circumstances? Because some of us are like, he's seeming pretty silent right now. And for other of us, how can we trust the community I'm a part of? Okay, because look, we could all go on about how crap the church is, right? We could do it. 
okay? The church, we used to be in a church, and, and people gossiped about the miscarriage we had. So, you know, we can all go there. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, we can all go there. But the point is this. If we, if we live in the shadow of our pain and other people's sin, we're never going to actually be the standard of community that God calls us to be. We're never going to do this. Walk together. So let's figure out what it should look like and where we should be heading, okay? So two pictures to kind of frame all this. All of Scripture, okay, all of Scripture is pointing to one event, Christ's death on the cross. The Old Testament is pointing forward to that moment. The Gospels are leading to the cross, and the New Testament is pointing back and how you live it out. If Scripture's main point was me, I'd worry. If Scripture's main point was a political ideology, I'd worry. If Scripture's main point was to make your life better, I would worry. But all of Scripture is pointing to the death and glorious moment of Christ our Savior crucified for us. And in a moment, what we're going to do is we're going to have the tangible sign of that moment. This is my wedding ring. This is a tangible sign of the commitment I made to Emma, the covenant that we've made to one another, that we want to try and glorify Christ. And in a moment, we're going to take communion. We're going to say some liturgy. Many of you have never heard of this liturgy before. We're going to say some liturgy to prepare our hearts. And then you're going to be invited to come, and then you're going to put bread in your hands, and the bread will go into your mouth. Why? Why are we eating bread? Why? It's not for us to go, oh, is it Sainsbury's? Is it Waitrose? Because in a deeper and more profound way than my wedding ring, we are being pointed to Christ's bloodied, broken, pierced, naked body hanging on a tree for you and me. That's why we individually come for you. You. He died for you. And then you'll walk to someone else and you'll be given the cup and you'll put the cup to your mouth and you will sip on the blood. Why are we drinking wine? This is not a kind of pre-drink for the pub. This is to remember. This is to show us and remember. Jesus brought us new life. Jesus showed us God's love and Jesus allowed us to have the certainty of eternal life. And he didn't do it by taking us to the park to have a picnic. He didn't do it to the Christmas tree. When you're, you're, you're there on the 25th of December to have some little unwrapped, little kind of white company present, he did it with his blood. The bloody cross falling on a bloody ground with a bloodied saviour. That's what we're remembering. And that's why when we come to Scripture, we read all of Scripture with that lens. Christ crucified for us. But more than that, we have assurance in our negative and positive circumstances because he didn't remain dead. He didn't stay in the tomb. He's risen and he is alive and he reigns over everything. Big and small. 
Death just didn't overcome him. Nothing overpowers our risen king, and he is over all, and he's in heaven interceding for us and with us. So in the face of the darkest depression, in the face of the slamming door, in the joys of life, he is risen alive and reigns forever. And so then when we come to these two pictures of a broken, crucified Christ and a risen king, that is the community that we are trying to build our lives on. Focused on that. Because if we have the broken, crucified Christ, that's already saying you're not perfect. And if you have the risen king that he reigns over all, you're going to want to submit your lives, every part, even the bits you don't want anyone else to know, you're going to want to give them to him. And don't do it by yourself. We won't be able to do it. Can I invite you to stand and we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the crucified Christ for our sins, but you are the risen King, glorious and reigning forever. And you have spoken and you do speak and you want to guide us and you want to shape us and transform us. And we thank you so much for your work on the cross and that you reign in heaven and you are with us in the positive and the awful and the negative circumstances. And I pray each of us would know the truth that our risen King reigns over all and would we praise you with our voice, with our souls, with our bodies, and with our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.